When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Cowles here for CLNS Media, coming at you with another episode of Pats Daily, brought to you by our good friends at FanDuel. More on them later. But for now, it's a new era in New England. Gerard Mayo, the newest head coach, and with that change is going to come a lot of new faces to break down some of the candidates to fill a whole lot of holes on the Patriots staff. I've got my good buddy Brett Coleman of The Film Room and co-host of The Bootleg Podcast, two of my favorite outlets for football info. Brett, first, how are you doing? Second, how do you feel about the Gerard Mayo hiring? Because there's been some controversy over here about how quickly it happened, but... I feel like it was a home run, just me personally. Uh, first of all, you know, it's January. January is the hardest month in NFL media that people don't realize because you got regular season ending, playoffs, draft coverage, coaching, carousel, all at the same time. We're, you know, we're keeping track of who's declaring, who's not, transfer portal, legendary coaches retiring and or being forced out, depending on how you want to frame it. Like there's, <laughs> there's a lot going on in January. Uh, and so I will sleep in the summer. Um, but <laughs> I will say if I was a Patriots fan, I'd be super excited because I, first things first, I love the Mayo. Uh, I guess you can call it a hiring. I guess you can call it a ascension, you know, coronation. Right. Coronation. Like, <laughs> it kind of feels like anytime you talk to people that were around the Patriots or that know the Patriots, like everybody's kind of expected this mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um, the one little hiccup or at least what I thought might be a hiccup is all of a sudden Mike Frabel was available. And so I was like, well, maybe, I don't know, you know, but in the end they had been grooming Gerard for this job for years at this point. I also kind of believe that's the reason why McDaniels left is because it became very Mm -hmm. apparent that, that Gerard was going to be the guy. And so this was about as smooth a transition as the organization could ever hope for. Not to mention Mm -hmm. he's just a kick-ass coach. So I think they nailed it. They didn't, they, they took like two days, not even two days to make it happen. Cause I, I didn't think mm-hmm. they wanted there to be any sort of mystery or anything about it. They're just like, he's a great coach. He's what we need. Deal with it. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm over the moon. I don't know how Patriots fans feel about it. Cause maybe they wanted like a whole process of courting Harbaugh or whatever, but like mm-hmm. for the Patriots specifically, this was the best coach they could hire. And I understand that like the Mike Vrabel being available kind of threw a wrench into, you know, how amazing it would have been if it was just Gerard with the already open candidates. But I mean, like you said, first, they literally call him Belichick Jr. And as great as Bill was and all the positive things, I feel like there were plenty of negatives when it came to offense, when it came to relationships with players. You know, plenty of players loved and appreciated him as a coach. But I mean, Danny Himandola said it best. We we uh, played for we what was the quote? we played for Bill. 
we worked for Bill, but we played for Tom. There it is. Uh, yeah. But that's pretty much, I feel like, the sentiment. And then when Tom left, it was like, all right, now there's a little less incentive for us to put up with this. You know, still has a respect of players, but what's time to move on? And then you got Gerard, who's trying to break down silos, more communication, more collaboration. I feel like, you know, in this era, that's kind of where you got to be at uh, headspace-wise as the leader of an organization. So first thing I want to get to is offensive coordinator. So the Patriots actually brought in a couple of a big, uh, one big name candidate specifically, and another who was kind of under the radar, but Patriots fans are familiar with. So they brought in Zach Robinson, obviously pass game coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Rams, was drafted by the Patriots in the seventh round, didn't make the team, never actually played or was on the roster in the regular season, but that's like a loose Patriots connection. Uh, obviously, he's been with L.A. for his entire professional coaching career. And then Nick Cayley who actually started off with the Patriots, kind of similar to Zach Robinson, where his whole career in the pros was with the Patriots. Then you had the whole Matt Patricia situation where he felt like he was passed over for the offense coordinator job, left to take a lateral move as tight ends coach with the Rams. And now, not only did he interview for the offensive coordinator spot last season, and Mayo was in those interviews, but now they're clearly interested again. What did you think about those two interviews, especially considering there's a possibility maybe that they both come to New England and take elevated titles? And outside of them, who are some people that you think would be good spits for New England? So your last suggestion there is the one that I've kind of had dialed in the whole time, which is because mm. Kraft has money. Yeah. Pay both of them. Have one be a run game coordinator, one be a pass game coordinator slash quarterbacks mm. coach. Again, lateral move. You know, if you want to give Zach Robinson like the play calling duties, but he but he has a run game coordinator that he works with. Mm. Um you know, because I, I think that when it comes to what these guys really want, they want to be able to show away from Sean McVay that they can run an offense, right? Right. Let alone run an offense with a young quarterback, you know, whether it's Drake May or, or, or Daniels or if Caleb somehow randomly doesn't go first overall. Like if they, if they can both in a split capacity – one is pass game coordinator, one is run game coordinator, show that they can develop and guide an offense away from the shadow of Sean McVay with a young quarterback. They could potentially have the same kind of rise that we saw with, say, Bobby Slowick this year. Mm -hmm. First time, you know, out, outside of the Shanahan shadow, developing an offense with a young quarterback, they end up killing it. All of a sudden, Slowick's going to get a head coaching job. Mm -hmm. um, just, there tends to be a trend around the NFL you know, everybody hires Shanahan guys, everybody hires McVay guys, but they get kind of they, they get kind of cagey about it if they've never called plays before. So you go somewhere, show that you can call the plays. Again, I think it's more of a rental <laughs> than anything else. Like, okay, you're there for very long, but I think set the foundation a little bit. <laughs> you know, more importantly, do the same thing that Texans did with Stroud. Like get mm -hmm. get just a solid base for let's say Drake May. And just get his career off and running. There's no coaching tree I would rather pluck from right now than the general Shanahan McVay ecosystem, especially for a young quarterback. We've we've seen it proven time and time and time again with the young quarterbacks that it gets them, or that I should say it accelerates their growth. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they should overthink it. Like just throw whatever money you have to at those guys. It, one's eventually going to leave for a head coaching opportunity. You elevate the other guy full time. Mm -hmm. Then he probably leaves shortly after, and then you go raid the Rams coaching staff again, like wash, rinse, and beat. That's that's what I would do. 
Yep. So it's basically like an in-league Alabama for the Patriots. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like the Rams tree would be best for like a Drake May kind of skill set, where it's a lot of stuff over the middle of the field. Plus with their skill sets, obviously they're not like carbon copy or anything like that, but watching Drake May, what he can do with the arm slots, some of the play extension ability, I feel like it's kind of similar to a Matt Stafford kind of guy. So I'm curious. They could probably get Patriots are looking at most likely Drake May or Jaden Daniels. So who would your top candidates be for the Patriots, you know, outside of Robinson and Kaylee, if it's Drake May? And who would it be if it's Jaden Daniels? So I'll, I'll start off by saying I am not sure that I'm going to have May as my QB2. Mm, I'm okay. I'm again, he, May and Daniels are like they're different, and I haven't decided mm. yet, like, what do I care most about? Because, okay. you know, when it comes to Jaden, like, God, other than Caleb, nobody throws a nine route like that. Plus, he's super yeah. mobile and he's tough as nails. He's a great leader. He gets better every single year. You look back at the last five years, and like, he literally only gets better every year. It's like that Hurts trajectory where it's like, yes. oh, oh, it's. <laughs> Yes. Not to mention he has a lot of experience and not that Drake may doesn't have a lot of experience, but he has a lot of starting experience. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that may is my QB two. I might end up with, with Daniels there when all is said and done. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if they happen, like, I don't, I don't really think there's a wrong answer there, but if they happen to get Daniels, for me, I would I would kind of want somebody from that McVeigh tree, um, even though McVeigh doesn't prioritize outside zone as much as Kyle does. Like Kyle's still mm -hmm. probably like 45 percent outside zone. McVeigh's really fluctuated uh, in terms of like what his his bread and butter is throughout the years, depending on who he has as quarterback. But I think like it's still there. It still exists. Like they still do, you know a bunch of two back runs, even though they don't have a fullback, but they still do a bunch of like the under center two back stuff, you know, condensed formations, turn your back to the defense, um, you know, bootlegs here and there again, not as much as Kyle, but it still exists. And I kind of mm -hmm. feel like if, if you bring in say a Zach Robinson for Jaden Daniels, I think that he could use his mobility, not in a 2012 RG3 running a bunch of RPOs, pistol all the time kind of way, but more so in a, hey, we're going to go under center. You know, we're going to we're going to put big people on the field. We're going to do exactly what Slowick did in Houston. We're going to have six and seven man protections. We're going to boot you out, cut the field in half. So you're going to have the alert. You're going to have the mid-level. You're going to have the short. And if all else fails, you have the wheels you can take off and we're going to do that until you get comfortable. And then we can start calling, you know, like instead of booting you out, now we're going to keep you in the pocket. We're going to, we're still going to have flood to the field, but then we're going to have that backside dig come where you're going to, you're going to rip it. Right. Ooh, yeah. and, and so you kind of work from a lot of what like Brian Dable did with Daniel Jones. And then eventually you get mm -hmm. to what McVay and Robinson were doing with Stafford, where you go from half right. field to full field. But I think that type of system will use Jaden's mobility in a way that isn't just getting him killed for the sake of getting him killed because he can run. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's an option, but it's not what we're basing it off of. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I would do is I, I would pair any of the McVeigh guys with Jaden. Hope to God you can get a receiver on day two, <laughs> multiple receivers on day two, and then yeah. you, you build it out from there. Is there anybody else 
outside of that tree. Because again, I feel like Zach Robinson and then again, Nick Haley, Package was like the dream scenario. Anybody else that fans should just have on their mind as another potential candidate? Ooh. Uh, well, Waldron just got poached by Chicago. He was up there right. for me as well. Um, I know somebody's going to bring up Cliff. I don't, I don't, I don't think it. it would work. I don't think it yeah. would work. I don't see it, especially with the personnel they've got. I don't, I don't see that working. Um, how about a Dan pitcher? I'll throw one at you. I'll pitch one. Okay. At you. Dan pitcher. Have they brought him in? I do not believe so, but I know he's someone – I think he's interviewed with the Raiders, I believe, and the Saints. Uh, but just Ooh. it seems like somebody mentored Joe Burrow his entire career. Yeah. With the quarterback experience. Just throwing that one out there. I could see I, – I would be really interested to see how they plan – or how he would plan to handle protection. Um, how so? Because in Cincinnati, it's it's five-man protections all day long, Right. Right. And, and stuff like that, yeah. And I don't know if New England can get away with that. <laughs> like, when they had all five on the field, like it worked towards the end of the year. It worked a lot better than it did in the first half when they were just rotating. I don't. I think they probably led the league in different offensive line combinations. I think they got up to like ten or something like that, like starting combinations. Yeah, yeah. It, it settled the back half of the year, um, mm -hmm. but I'm still not a, not 100 percent certain that they could get away with that. Uh, like Cincinnati. Had. Plus, like, what's going on with Trent Brown? Is he even coming back? So that's the thing. Gerard Mayo, I feel like he's a better fit. Like, Trent has been posting Gerard content a lot. Like, when he got hired, it was all over the place. He didn't even acknowledge Bill. Other players were like, you know, you're excited about Mayo, but you also acknowledge Bill. There was none of that. So I really do think that the relationship – and then there was something also reported that, you know, Bill, how he plays his mind games were like – they had him come in for minicamp or something like that. And then he was like a second string. And he's like, well, why the hell am I even here if I'm second string? And he wasn't happy with the way that he was handled. And then Bill, like, not telling you schedules until the last minute, which, you know, as media, I can somewhat understand. That's kind of frustrating. But, you know, I, I really do think the relationship there was frayed. But I'm the biggest thing is I'm not sure how the locker room feels about it. If the locker room's like, hey, you know, he was hurt. He toughed it out when he could. It was just a bad situation. And then he comes back on a modest deal and then balls out because he actually has more respect for Mayo and gets treated a little better, then I'm cool with it. But yeah. I don't know how they feel about him inside the building is the biggest problem. Because let's just say everything's cool and he comes back. Mm -hmm. You know, you're looking at a, a starting five of Trent – um, and then you got Unwenu is the other, and then you got Strange at left guard. Um, Probably City So at right guard, most yeah. likely. Yeah, he, he, I thought he played well there personally. Yeah, uh, no, he really got better as the season went on. Fewer mistakes, I felt like, every week. And then uh, what's, the, what's the contract situation at center? David Andrews, I think it's his last year on his deal, but he also might retire. I don't think he's going Ooh. to, but he's still a retirement candidate. Behind him, they've got Jake Andrews. They drafted him last year. And he was okay. Like, he didn't play until literally the second to last game of the season. I, I guess they only thought he was a center. He came in at guard and, like, played pretty well in a few snaps the last game of the season when there was, like, a freaking blizzard. Um, you know, he looked a little more rough, but he didn't get a ton of playing time, like, competitively in the summer. Kind of like City, how they tried to have him at tackle the entire summer. And then yeah. he played guard. And they were like, oh, maybe that was – his natural position would have been smart. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, and then Cole also got hurt. So interior is kind of, 
I don't really know what's going to happen there. The good thing is there's a lot of depth in this class. I look at like Mason McCormick from from South Dakota State. Um, like they can pick him up early day three and be totally fine. There's some centers that I like in this class if they want depth there. The big thing is, again, if you're trying to get away with a bunch of five-man protections, like what Cincy does all the time, mm -hmm. and in shotgun 97% of the time, which is what Cincy does, again, I'm not saying that's exactly what they would do because they kind of cater it to Burrow, but right. like if, if, that's, if that's kind of what they want to emulate, you can do it, but I don't think they can do it with their current weapons. They need dudes, like especially because everybody's going to be blitzing a young quarterback mm -hmm. over and over and over again. If they're not protecting with six and seven like Houston was doing to kind of get C.J. acclimated to all the blitzes and everything he was facing. If they're trying to protect with five, ball's got to come, come out quick, which means you need guys that can break tackles. And the only one they got right now is Pop Douglas. So that means if we're yeah. taking either May or Jaden early – like if Malachi Corley is not in New England next season, like something went horribly wrong because like that's <laughs> that's kind of what they have to do is right. accept the fact that their average depth of target is going to be four yards next year. Mm. We're getting Yak City like that's. Yeah. So, again, all of these pieces can fit together. It's just hard. <laughs> and Dan is just carrying a lot of weight. <laughs> and I mean, we saw it last season, like Bill O'Brien, he's not a really big max protect guy either. I think at one point in the season, it was like they were second to last in uh, um, number of times they had like more than five in protection. So we already saw he loves empty. You know, a lot of the time you'll get chips, but usually they're trying to get their guys out in the route. So we already saw what last year's Patriots offensive line looked like with five-man protection. And it's very best, like when they had healthy Trent, Mike, when I think it was his first game at right tackle, then City, Cole, and David. That was the game they beat the Bills. And that was the yeah. best that they looked all season. So, but that's a lot of ifs because it's like, all right, who's going to be back? Who's not going to retire? Is Cole even going to be ready? Because I think that he hurt the same knee uh, that he messed up in the summer. So you have no idea what the structure is going to be like there, how ready he's going to be. And then Mafi, I really like the guy, but I last season was rough. Like, I don't know that you can play him anytime soon, to be totally honest with you, even as a depth guy. The big thing, oh, man, and I, I, I loved him a lot coming out, but there were, like, legitimate issues mm. on tape in terms of his ability to redirect, especially against stunts. Yeah. Yes, and that was that, a huge that problem. Going up a lot, right? He's just yeah. not quick. He's strong. Mm -hmm. Like when he gets his hands on you, it, you, you know, you're he's fine. But he doesn't it's use his fingers. <laughs> like I swear, he blocks like this, where it just it's always sliding up. And I'm like, dude, grab him, like do something. It's you're allowed. It's not touch. And I I get I get so flustered because it's like you have the talent, but the number of times I saw his hand just slip and just not to get any contact. It was bizarre, and I hope he gets it worked out this offseason. But. He's the classic uh, – honestly, he's the pa classic Patriots lineman that would have worked when Dante was there. Scar, yep, yep. Dante would have fixed him. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the worst thing that has happened to the Patriots, I think, in the last 10 years – other than Tom leaving is Dante retiring the second time. Absolutely. Like absolutely. He will never get the appreciation he deserves. That dynasty was built by Dante Scarnecchia. Yep. And it's because he made guys like Mafi or Strange or CD or Unwenu. Like he made those guys work for 20 years, mm -hmm. you know, and he's not there anymore. And so like they got to figure it out. I don't know how they're gonna do it, but they gotta figure it out. 
Yeah, as much as the offensive coordinator stuff is like exciting, and as it should be, you know, that's the leader. I'm going to be very curious to see what they do with O-line coach. I don't think Adrian Clem's going to be back. And also, frankly, a wide receiver coach, because their development at that position has been pretty brutal under Troy Brown for the past couple of years. Patriots legend, ton of respect for him. But, like, I, I've really – even with Pop, as great as he was last season, considering the situation, the route running – Outside of just his natural talent and ability to set guys up, like the route depths and things like that, it was every single week you'd see like two or three plays where it's like, man, I don't know what they're coaching him to do because it's just like he can't get open or it's not on time. And I don't, I don't know if that's just me, but you know what I would do? I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he would take it because he's. But if I was Kraft, mm-hmm. I would talk to whoever Brian Hartline's agent is, and just say like, "What's the number?" Like what's the like? Is, I understand Ohio State. Is he committed well. to Ohio? Right. Okay. That's what I was wondering. You know, but it's like, yeah, they got the unfinished business. They brought like everybody back. They spent mm-hmm. a bunch in NIL. Like they're going for it. But like, I, I'm sorry, we're the New England Patriots. We got more money than Ohio State. Like, what's the number? <laughs> like, bring me Brian Artline at all costs. <laughs> hey man, fingers crossed. That would be a sincere dream scenario. Uh, <laughs> But we have to get into some other phases. You know we could probably talk offense for the entire hour. Before we do, though, quick word from our friends at FanDuel. The NFL season is wrapping up. But there is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, Find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, so our producer extraordinaire, Ahmed, came up with some gorgeous graphics because the Patriots have only interviewed a couple offensive coordinators, but they have been busy on the defensive side of the ball. Pull it up right now. So first, they interviewed Tim Lukabu, Panthers outside linebackers coach, Christian Parker, one of a young riser in the league, Broncos defensive backs coach, which is interesting considering the Patriots usually have safeties and corners. So it'd be fascinating to see whether or not if he didn't get the D.C. job, if he could come in 
maybe replace some guys they could potentially lose in Mike Pellegrino, maybe Brian Belichick. Michael Hodges, the Saints linebackers coach, who is actually co-defensive coordinator with the final man on this list, Marcus Covington, the Patriots defensive line coach, who I personally think is at the forefront in terms of who could potentially get that defensive coordinator spot. So who on that list to you really stands out as somebody who could get that job? And also just if you have some general thoughts on the names on the list, because they're people that Pats fans aren't super familiar with. Um, I would say Covington would be the easy one or the easy choice for me just because like Patriots defensive line wasn't the issue. Yep. <laughs> like, they, they, they <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I would, and plus, you know, the Patriots defense, which has been an institution for decades at this point, they kind of do speak their own language a yeah. little bit. And so I kind of want somebody who knows that language to, to step in and, you know, it, it, even if he's going to have new ideas and youthful exuberance and all that, he can work with Gerard, but like they both speak the Belichick language, which means they don't need to teach everybody new stuff. They can introduce new concepts, but they don't have to teach them how to speak a new language. And I worry um, that say, if you're bringing in one of the Fangio guys, if you're bringing in, you know, somebody who's a, a Wade Phillips disciple and all of a sudden everybody's got to learn, you know, new, new ways to say everything. It can, it can cause guys to think. And when guys think they get beat. So I, I would, I would stick with what works and roll with Covington personally, because I think he's a hell of a coach. And if he's not going to get a chance to be a DC now, when would it, be. you know I feel like he's right. he's earned that opportunity especially with Mayo talking about like how much titles matter because he was the co-defensive coordinator or de facto defensive coordinator and nobody knew because he was only listed as a linebackers coach I, I remember for done. years like the number one topic you know when we go to the all-star games or you know we're doing off-season discussions I go up to my anybody who I knew that either covered the Patriots or was around the Patriots and I'd be like, so is it Mayo? Is it Steve? Like what's, what's the thing? And everyone's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knew. So Mayo did everything except play calling. And that was Steve, but basically they were, you know, co-defensive coordinators kind of thing. But obviously now with Mayo running things, it's probably going to have to be somebody else. And I mean, Covington, they, I, I know they have so much respect for him in that building. Granted, you just turned Christian Barmore and Anthony Jennings into absolute studs. Like, I mean, the potential was there, but two breakout seasons on the defensive line, best run defense in the league. I mean, that says a lot about your qualifications. I'm also curious what you think of Christian Parker, because I know you did a video on the Broncos turnaround after obviously they got blown out earlier in the season and really kind of found their identity. Uh, how do you feel about how their secondary looked and how maybe some of their philosophies would work in New England? A lot of, you know, a lot of the Broncos um, – resurgence defensively in the second half of the year it was it was personnel related in terms mm -hmm. of just finding the right guys in the right spots you know Jaquan McMillan he was a revelation and the fact that he wasn't their starting nickel from day one I especially once he got there on the field I'm like why was he not there the entire time he was one of their best defensive players period um you know moving on from Randy Gregory was uh, a, a kind of more of addition by subtraction for them getting the young edges a lot, a lot more involved. Um, you know, they got some guys back from injury, like a, a lot of their problems were personnel related. And then once they, they got, it's probably by like week seven or so 
once they got their ideal starting 11 or technically starting 12, if we're talking about base and nickel, uh, and they, they really settled on who, who their guys were, that's when they started realizing like, okay, we can get pressure, but we have to get pressure a very specific way. Uh, we have to blitz, 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 blitz. And they did it. You know, they, they more blitz, not necessarily to get free rushers, even though like free rushers are great. They blitz to give one-on-ones like winnable right. one-on-ones. And so they became a very pressure oriented defense. And then they had DBs that, I mean, were just insanely gifted at, at making plays in terms of forcing turnovers, stripping the ball, you know, hunting for interceptions. Like it, 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 I'm not saying it was the most sustainable business model because we don't want to just live off turnovers, but they were damn good at it. And I love the effort. I love the aggression. And I kind of feel like when the Patriots defense has been at their best historically, it's when they're ultra aggressive. Right. You know, it's, Hey, we are playing man because we can play man Hmm. and you're not going to get open and we're going to bring five and six guys and we're going to ruin your day. Like that's the best version of the Patriots defense. Cause if you're bringing five and six guys, guess what? Christian Barmer is getting one-on-one Keon White's getting one-on-one like, Sorry, very few offensive lines are blocking that. So I I would love the Patriots becoming aggressive again because that's usually when they're at their best. And they actually kind of did that towards the end of last or to really mid to end of last season, especially when they lost Judon because it was like, all right, we we are yeah. getting nothing. Like obviously Christian Barmore, but he can't do it all himself. And you started to see like a lot of the bigger plays they made were when you had Kyle Duggar blitzing. I think he was like one of the best like non edge or non defensive line blitzers, um, at least at the position, maybe in the league. I'd have to double check. Um, but then I'm sure Kyle Duggar is one of the best just players in the league. So he just, he's just best at everything. <laughs> and you got like Jalen. Mills obviously he's going to be a free agent but they want to bring him back he's really good blitzing off the edge so that would be very interesting to see how they incorporate that and maybe even get some new stuff kind of into the mix uh but moving on special teams everybody's favorite topic some of the people that the Patriots have interviewed so far you got Marquise Williams from the Falcon special teams coach Jeremy Springer an assistant special teams coach for the Rams and Thomas McGahee the former Giant special teams coordinator. He was let go. Uh, they had a pretty rough season. I'm not sure how much that was on him and much was on personnel. Uh, but in terms of the names on those lists, on that list, who stands out to you most as a good fit for New England? Off the top of my head, if I recall correctly, the Falcons were top eight in terms mm-hmm. of missed tackle rate on specialty. And I mean that in a good way, as in like yeah. not missing tackles right it's so annoying like articulating those stats because it sounds like you can interpret it one way or the other yeah yeah but they were good they were good at not missing tackles which honestly when it comes to special teams that's kind of like rule number one is just don't miss tackles Mm -hmm. stay in your lane and don't miss tackles do your job don't mess it up and we're going to be at least average right and so you know i i don't know a whole lot about like schematically how his special teams differed or varied from, from other special teams coordinator. Cause that's not, that's not necessarily my area of expertise, but I do know that his guys tackle well. And at the end of the day, you know, especially with Gerard Mayo, all people being the head coach, like this is going to be a team that prides itself on tackling and effort. Yep. So I feel like Williams fits personally. Yeah, and those were areas that they weren't great in last season. They had their moments, but, I mean, it just was not nearly enough. And it's been a couple of years their special teams have really been lacking, so that's going to be a big one for them. Now we've got general manager candidates. We're past the coordinators moving on to the front office. These are So they haven't interviewed anybody yet, 
But here's just some of the people that, you know, off the dome, I thought would be some pretty good fits. Elliot Wolf, that one's pretty obvious. He's already in the building, has experience with the Browns. Obviously, Ron Wolf's son uh, came up in the Packers system, uh, front office that really prioritizes building up through the draft. I feel like he's not getting nearly as much love as he deserves. Uh, Matt Grove, the director of player personnel, who is kind of a mystery because obviously Belichick having the final say and so much influence in that department, you really didn't get to see how much influence Grow had. Obviously, we will now. And you got Trey Brown, obviously, as Patriots ties. He's with the Bengals, also has a relationship with Gerard Mayo. Mike Borgonzi, or Bor oh, Borgonzi, I don't think I've said that right the first time, a single time I've tried. <laughs> Jesus says the general manager, another guy with Patriots ties. Roy Agnew from the Lions front office. They had been fantastic in recent years, so that's another guy I could take. And James Leapford, the Texans executive director of player personnel, obviously another good fit because of Patriots ties. Now, how familiar are you with Elliot Wolf and Macro, just from your perspective? Because again, I feel like Macro is pretty much a mystery to most people outside of that building. Yeah. And like the last question, is there anybody on that list who really stands out to you, somebody who could be a good fit for them? So this is what makes it so hard for evaluating Patriots GM fits is because we saw what happened with Nick Casario when Casario left New England and he got to do his own thing. The Texans have drafted extraordinarily well. And I'm very happy for you, by the way. <laughs> Casario has been cooking, man. Like he's, yeah. he's been absolutely cooking. You know, you got obviously the CJ Stroud was kind of more of a luck thing than anything else, but like he knew he wanted Will Anderson. He, he got Will Anderson, you know, the Stingley pick, the Tank Dell pick, um, you know, grabbing Dalton Schultz uh, mm -hmm. at a discount, um, you know, some of the work that he's done in terms of building offensive line depth, like that offensive line was down to 80% backups at one yeah. point, and they were still holding up really well. Um, Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins, like the Cashman pickup off the street, he was playing at an extremely high level. There's just so many good players on that Texans team that are there because of Nick Casario. Mm -hmm. And we didn't we didn't really know what to expect from Casario because he was in New England and he didn't really get a chance to show what he could do. Right. And now we can get now we can see what he can do and he's and he's flourishing. So I kind of want to give either Grow or Wolf a crack at being Patriots GM now that Bill's not there because mm -hmm. for all we know, just like Casario, they're better at it than Bill. And for all we know, they would have done a lot of things differently over the years that Bill ended up in kind of, I don't want to say made them look bad, but kind of made them look bad, right? With the yeah. decisions that he, that he was making, because at the end of the day, they were his decisions. Yeah. So, you know, if if they don't work out in New England, fine, they don't work out in New England, but I at least want to give them a, a shot, just like Covington, because I am not convinced that everything was bad in New England. I'm not mm -hmm. convinced that they didn't have good player personnel people. I'm not convinced that they didn't have good coaches there. I'm not even convinced that they didn't have good players there. Mm -hmm. What I am convinced of is that there had to be a change at the top before we could get answers to those questions. And now there's been a change at the top. So let's get answers to the questions. Let's elevate grow or wolf, whoever, whoever they feel should, should be in that, in that job and give them a shot because if they're not going to get a shot now, when will it be? And if it doesn't work fine, but I, just like Nick Casario, I want to see what they can do. And this is the opportunity. And I understand the trepidation that Pats fans have because this is 
going to be the biggest offseason in a very long time. You got a lot of money, you got a lot of capital, and you want to rebuild relatively quickly. Now, obviously, there's going to be, you know, this is going to be an almost completely brand new staff, it's particularly on the offense side of the ball. You hope the defense can say the same, but realistically, they might lose at least a couple pretty important people over there. But Robert Kraft has made it pretty clear that he thought that Bill Belichick was the problem. And I mean, Belichick is a legend. I also understand that people didn't love the idea that, oh, you're saying the guy who built all this is what's wrong. But like, yeah, because Belichick (laughs) is the king of move on before it's too late. Like you'd rather be a year early than a year late. And this wasn't like a year or two. It's not just the Patricia hire. It wasn't just the Joe Judge hire. It's not just Nikhil Harry. It's just a consistent track record of misidentifying talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You saw the last draft where I was honestly very happy with the guys they got on defense. But at the same time, when you look at how the team was when the season really got going, especially when you got into camp and you started to see what the plan was for City and then Chad Ryland is struggling, it's like, all right, I know this is retrospective, but I like most people were saying, why aren't they going with offense? And apparently people in the building were saying, why did we wait so long to address offense when that was our biggest area of need? So, I mean, I would like from your perspective, before we get to the final point on uh, Belichick's future, from your view, what was it that led to Belichick's demise in New England? Organizationally speaking, there should have only been one objective after Mac Jones got drafted, mm-hmm. which was make him work. Yep. Like whatever you got to do to make him work, you make him work. That means you draft offensive line if you need offensive line. You draft weapons if you need weapons. You sign weapons. Do whatever you can. And and how Bill alloc when they did that spending spree, how Bill allocated the money wasn't great. Mm-hmm. You know he threw threw a lot of bad money around that that shouldn't have been spent. Like it's one thing to spend money, but you got to do it smartly. He didn't do it smartly. Um, and then like I love Gonzo. I love Keon White. They're great players. But organizationally, your objective was make Mac Jones work. Mm-hmm. Get him a number one receiver like a Zay Flowers. Get extra protection if you're not feeling confident about the five guys that you got going in. Um, and, hell, draft, draft weapons back to back to back. Like, their best receiver last year was Pop Douglas. Like, truly. And they got him, what, yeah. six round? <laughs> six round pick, yes, sir. So, and I love the Pop Douglas pick, but my criticism of the Pop Douglas pick at the time was, why did it take so long to do that? Like, you had, and again, I love Gonzo. He's going to be a great player. You're going to say it. Gonzo's not going to fix Mac Jones. Gonzo's not going to score points. Like, we need points. It's the the AFC East. You got to deal with Buffalo. You got to deal with Miami. Like, you got to (laughs) score. You got to score. And, and, ugh. I thought you were going to name drop Zay. I literally already have like goosebumps, especially watching him in the playoffs, man. Like I'm still not totally convinced that they shouldn't have gone with Gonzo because that was a huge area of need to be fair. Like going into last season, it was like the defense is good, but they still need that top number one corner. So even still, as much as I would have loved Zay, I get the Gonzalez pick because he just fell into their laps. But at the same time, second round and third round go by and you're getting developmental guys who are going to rotate in for you, but not be difference makers in the area where you really need it. So I absolutely agree. It took me a while to get there. I am embarrassed to admit, but not the best choice, but Bill Belichick is moving on. Looks like he's going to the Falcons. 
What do you think of this pick? Because, I mean, I remember when rumors are going around that he was interested or NFC South teams were really interested. It's like, okay, yeah, Atlanta's got to be the best fit, but they don't have a quarterback, which is still a big issue. Now, I have no idea how they're going to address it, how they want to address it, but how well do you think Belichick fits, especially on their defense? And do you think that they, if they, who do you think could be a potential quarterback solution who could help them steady the ship and make them, you know, the powerhouse in the NFC South? Because, you know, it's not the most competitive division in football. <laughs> I would bring in Bill if there's a plan for quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, but it has to be a quarterback that like we know can work, like something that's safe, that like it, not young, not in the middle of development, like somebody who's going to come in, like you know they're going to be good. Yep. You know, kind of like what he, what he had with Tom for a long time. It was like Bill doesn't have to worry about the offense, that quarterback's mm-hmm. going to be fine. Atlanta doesn't have that. And so my mega tinfoil hat theory is if Bill goes to Atlanta, Atlanta calls Dallas. Mm. And they say, hey, you are due to give Dak a whole bunch of money. And you're not sure if you want to do that because you also have to sign CD. You also have to sign Micah. You got a bunch of young players that are really, really good. Do you want to reset the quarterback clock? while we take Dak and we try to go on a run with Belichick because Belichick is basically just chasing Shula. He's not going to be here for very long. Anyway, Arthur Blank's got money. He's going to spend his way into a three-year window, just like the Rams did. So that would then get Dallas in striking range to go up again and get somebody to reset the the clock. I do like that. I like that a lot. I didn't even – I figured it was kind of like Kirk Cousins or draft somebody, but I like that a lot. Better. I think Kirk's going back to Minnesota because of the Achilles. If Kirk was a free agent, Kirk to New England all day. Right. But uh, because then you could you could take Marvin and do Marvin and Kirk and Pop and, you know, all that. But, oh, no. uh, but because – because of the type of quarterback that I think Belichick needs is not the type of quarterback that Atlanta has. Mm. It's only going to work if they go get that type of quarterback, which I think might be Dak personally. I honestly do love that. I want to see Bill have a success as long as it doesn't overlap with what the Pats are doing. In terms of the defense, I feel like that is a unit that has a lot more talent considering like you don't really hear about them very much. They're not usually ranked very high in anything. So what do you think Bill can do with the guys I have over there? Like Grady, I think Calais Campbell said that he'd be down to come back. AJ Terrell, Jesse Bates. Like what could he turn that group into? Uh, he could turn into exactly what New England is, which is mm. we have a bunch of big bodies up front that can cause chaos. And we got corners outside that can play man and beat you up. And, and we got a safety like Bates, who is like, yeah, he po- he's a post safety. It's also a nickel. It's also a dimebacker. <laughs> like, you know, Bates would be Duggar with range. Well, he wouldn't I, take on guards like Duggar, but in, in that terms right. of like just swap around. Honestly, <laughs> right. more like a McCordy, more like a McCordy type guy than anything. He didn't get um, enough credit for the fact that he also just lined up all over the place. It's just that he yeah. spent like 70% of the time in the post. So, yeah, absolutely. But that's like that that middle field close structure that they lived in. That's Bill's. That's Bill's thing, you know. Yep. So I would, I would think it's a perfect fit personnel wise. Uh, plus, I feel like Calais Campbell 
has been destined to play in a Belichick defense for like 15 years now. So we might as well get to it, right? Yep. He's just like, uh, I don't want to say the compare him to Richard Seymour because that's not fair but in terms of just like a monstrous human being defensive end type who can absolutely dominate doesn't matter how old he is yeah no he's the ideal five like Calais Campbell to me is the five technique that I compare all five techniques against like he's the he's the one and you know and people would say oh J.J. Watt it's like well J.J. Watt was five technique plus nine plus three like He's like legitimate defensive end, whichever <laughs> part of the spectrum you want him to be on. Whereas, like, hey, we need somebody who's just gonna play a head up five and like take this offensive tackle to kindergarten. Glaze <laughs> Campbell. Okay, <laughs> like that's it. I will be studying that defense for sure. But Brett, I've taken up enough of your time. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you stopping by. Please let the people know what you got coming down the pipeline so they can take in all that sweet, sweet content. So uh, I'm heading out to Frisco for the Shrine Bowl. I'm going to be at the Cowboys practice facility. And while I'm out there, I'm going to be doing an episode on uh, their unfortunate blowout playoff loss. Because uh, NFL Films sent me a whole bunch of stuff to work with for that. And um, you know, obviously we got the All-22. And I was like, eh, I might as well record it from the Cowboys facility just to add insult to injury. Why not? Uh, you know, looking at uh, uh, draft prospects that same week, which is where – um, you know, the Patriots have pulled guys from the Shrine Bowl plenty of times before. They coached in the Shrine Bowl last year. Uh, they got Pop Douglas from the Shrine Bowl last year. So, uh, you know, curious to see what, what future Patriots uh, they're going to telegraph <laughs> drafting the entire week <laughs> like they did with Pop. Uh, and then after that, you know, we're, we're hitting the ground running on draft content, going to the combine and all that. Can't wait to see it, buddy. Once again, his handles right there. If you want to follow him on Twitter, you can check him out at YouTube at the Film Room and the Bootleg Podcast. But for now, gonna close things up. Thank you all so much for joining. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. We'll see you next time.